Yes, Mr. Sims. There's only two syllables in this whole wide world worth hearing. Pussy. What you are about to hear is a labor of love. Our love is for the music, and the music is for the people. We at Rockstrex10 and cnjradio.com have always recommended that any music we promote on our shows be legally purchased, downloaded, and or streamed. We feel this way not only for our network of shows, but for all music-based shows. By supporting the artist in this way, more music can be created and the industry as a whole can prosper. The music is owned by their respective labels, or hopefully by the artists themselves. This broadcast is owned by cnjradio.com. Our only mission is to promote the music we love and promote the legal purchase of it. Enjoy the show and turn it up. Welcome to Rock Welcome to Rock Strikes 10, the show guaranteed to always give you 10 songs, no more, no less. My name is Joey. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to the show here today, especially if you're doing it at the central station of cnjradio.com. All right, it is time now once again for us to cover some of the best albums made in the year 1992. This is part three of eight, so we're going to cover albums number 60 through 51 on this episode. And coming in at number 60, I always refer to this album as basically being kind of the last gasp of AOR rock on commercial hard rock radio or just rock radio in general. And it's still a favorite of mine, you know, for that reason, but also you probably have that thing where some of the nostalgia you have for the music of your youth, you kind of remember what was going on, not so much just in the world, but what was going on in your world. Because when you're younger, the world's a lot smaller. So I always refer to this song as a Z-Rock classic. And when I say Z-Rock classic, I mean the radio station Z-Rock, which was based out of Dallas at the time. And I would basically just sit in my room for the whole night after school and listen to Z-Rock and play on my Super Nintendo for pretty much the whole rest of the run of Z-Rock being in existence. So just hearing a handful of these songs immediately triggers that kind of a memory too. You know, honestly, a more simpler time. So doing these countdowns, if I don't rank a record super high and it's a lot higher on some other people's lists, it may just be a nostalgia thing. Like this one probably would make it on some people's list or it could be a lot higher. I don't know, but I have a decent amount of nostalgia is what I'm trying to say for this record right here. And almost just based off of the song I'm going to play right here. So number 60 is an album called Double Eclipse by the band Hardline. This album came out on May 8th, 1992, produced by lead guitarist of the band, Neil Sean. This was his post-journey thing that he did. And I think this is like the heaviest stuff that Neil Sean has ever played on, honestly. Because, I mean, for me, Bad English was actually a lot lighter than most Journey songs. And not that there's anything wrong with that. It just didn't really do it for me. But, man, when Hot Cherry hit the radio, 
I was just like, man, this is a cool song. It just has that thing. It's definitely very textbook, but at the same time, I dig it. I think it's one of those perfect hard rock songs. And to this moment, you could probably still hear it being played at least every few hours on Hair Nation on Sirius XM. But for the benefit of those who don't have that luxury, and I didn't mean that to sound as snobby as it did, but there you have it. But just in case you hadn't heard this in a while, it's awesome. So kicking off the show here today, and for the number 60 album, Hardline's Double Eclipse, this is Hot Sherry.
kicking off the show here today and coming in at number 60 on our top 80 albums of 1992. That was Hardline and their debut album, Double Eclipse. That was, of course, their big single, Hot Cherie. And on to album number 59 here with something completely different. You're now starting to see Nirvana making the world safe for noisy power trios and alternative college-based rock and roll with this band right here, Failure, a power trio out of Seattle, of course, but a band you should definitely check out if you never have. They got a handful of records out, and they're still kicking around, actually, uh, much like Hardline. I found out that Hardline was still doing shows. But yes, back to Failure. This album came out around the fall, I believe, 1992. It's a Steve Albini-produced record, which is no surprise whatsoever, because this is definitely in the wheelhouse of Steve Albini and his sound. Yeah, it's what you think it is. It's meant to be cranked up, and it is pure, noisy, power trio goodness. So get into some failure. I'm going to play you something that I think represents their debut album in a good way. By the way, I meant to say that the album is called Comfort. Let's mention that. The album is called Comfort. I'll I'll get warmed up here after this song, because this will get me going. So to represent Failure's Comfort album, this is Screen Man.
nice and crunchy and heavy the way we like them that was failure with screen man from the album comfort we move over here to number 58 and a band from las vegas i don't really uh, play a lot of bands from vegas there's not a lot of bands that i know of from vegas besides the killers and i don't really like them but not hayden but anyway, let's get over to this band right here, Rhino Bucket. Yes, Rhino Bucket. You know those guys? Yeah, they had a bit of a thing going on in the early 90s. They're actually still kicking around, which is awesome. Of course, all the comparisons in the world to ACDC and stuff like that, but I actually think they dig a little deeper than ACDC sometimes. I hear a lot of other Australian hard rock bands. I hear a lot of Angel City, or the Angels, if you will, in their sound, especially on this song I'm about to play right here. But that all being said... Rhino Bucket, they put out their sophomore record, Get Used To It, sometime in the spring of 1992. This album was produced by Terry Manning, which, man, that guy's got a resume a mile long. West Texas boy, go look him up, Terry Manning. Uh, but yeah, you know, it's a fun record. It's It's got that ACDC double cheeseburger thing, as my friend Ken Mills likes to say, and there's nothing wrong with that. I might have heard this song on the right day, so it scored pretty well this time around. And I definitely remember this song sticking out. Uh, you know, it's a fun little song, but also I was just like, I can't believe that none of these bands, ACDC included, have not written a song called this. So here you go. This is Rhino Bucket with Scratch and Sniff. <laughs>
right, there's a classic rock song that you didn't know you needed until you heard it. Here on the show, Scratch and Sniff there by Rhino Bucket. I'm sure a lot of people will be like, oh, he sounds a lot like Bon Scott on that track. But you might be right, but I definitely hear a lot of Doc Neeson from the Angels on there for sure. So that leads to my comparison from earlier. But yes, here's another band coming up here that got decently endorsed by ACDC, or at least by Brian Johnson, which is good enough for me. And this band, man, they came out hot with their debut here in 1992. This album came out August 11th, to be specific. And uh, all the tools were in place for this band to be big and seemed very unlikely for a band in the early 90s. And I'm sure they got signed before Nirvana took off. So once again, around this time, 1992, you got to understand that some of these albums may have already been recorded before the seismic cultural shift. And I would definitely speculate that the wheels were already in motion for this band at that time because it just seems to make sense. But it's good to have different things all the time. No matter what's trendy or what have you or what's out of fashion, it's cool to have a little bit of everything going on, especially on radio, especially in your daily music intake. That, that's how I feel. But yes, yeah, so like I said, all the pieces were in place. These guys were repped by John Kalodner. They were signed to Geffen, who were doing buco business at this point. They had GNR and Nirvana and Aerosmith. I mean, they were hot. Yeah, Brendan O'Brien producing this record, which I forgot to listen for the timpani on this record, but I don't know if there is one, but that is Brendan's signature. So super powerhouse producer here, Brendan O'Brien. Bring that all together and then put it all in a deep fryer, and you have the debut self-titled album by Jackal. If you were locked into hard rock music in 1992, you knew about this record. You probably bought this record. You heard half of it on the radio. This record was big, man. And I know I reference Sirius a lot, but that's my kind of current listening when I go radio. Still hear half this record on Sirius. Easily. To begin back to this record right here, this record, once again, was a monster. I remember seeing the video for this song I'm about to play. This is the, my first impression of the band. This is before Lumberjack took off and When Will It Rain and Down On Me getting overplayed and stuff like that. This first song right out of the gate. Good launch song, and the video is great. And I loved that they did this. It almost seems kind of like a cliched protest, but I gotta say, man, getting on that flatbed and playing in front of a Walmart parking lot, I mean, you can't say it in the video and they had to blur out the walmart logo but they did a little protest gig until the cops shut them down playing in front of walmart because walmart would refuse to stock their record because of the parental advisory sticker that has always been one of the most hypocritical stances any business has ever taken you can talk about taste all day you could talk about decency all day but here's the deal at the end of the day walmart has always always sold rated r movies that's it that's the argument so of course fuck walmart fuck them to this day don't support them but yes this song right here for this first jackal video i saw on the ball i'm like ah these guys are fun man might have checked them out so i still love this song for that reason no matter how overplayed all the other songs are i can reference this one and be like man this is a fun fun record so here you go the redneck punks themselves jackal with I Stand Alone.
Stand Alone right there by Jackal, their first ever single released from their first ever album. Hope you enjoy that. I kind of feel like with that record, we hit a new block on the countdown as far as overall point system goes and ownability and stuff like that. So I'm going to put it right there at the Jackal record because I still like bringing that record out every now and then. So there you have it. We're at least in the three quarters good records area of the countdown coming in at number 56 right here. And once again, we're going completely different here. One of the best live bands I ever saw mighty, mighty boss tones. They put out their second record in June of 92, this album called more noise and other disturbances produced by Paul Q. Coldery. And yeah, it's a pretty decent record. I don't think that they really started making like super ownable records, you know, until about, I would say Don't Know How to Party is probably the first, like, oh, yeah, you definitely got to listen to that one, top to bottom, that kind of thing. But once again, still a fun little record. Brings me a little nostalgia there. So, yeah, and this song actually did exist the year prior to this, but they still wound up including it on the record because 
Honestly, I think it's probably the best overall song on the record anyway, or at least it works the best. Yeah, along with like two other songs. I, I consider like two other songs to represent this record, but I'm going to go with this one right here. Probably the most popular song off of it. But there you have it. Here's the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones with Where'd You Go? Mighty, mighty boss tones right there with Where'd You Go from their second album, More Noise and Other Disturbances. Speaking of disturbances, so boss tones did call it a day early on this year. I want to say like in the first couple of months of 2022. And the breakup seemed to come out of nowhere. So everybody was like, what the hell happened? Where'd you go? No, sorry. But so I dug a little deeper and I kind of wish I hadn't, but here's what happened. This is not rumor and innuendo. This has been confirmed by a lot of people, and it pains me to say, but basically the rest of the band 
broke up the band because Dickie Barrett turned into like an anti-vaxxer and denier. So yeah, that's what happened. As a fan so eloquently put it uh, in one of those Boston free paper comment sections that I saw, Boston's breaking up due to Dickie Barrett and his wife being anti-vax is not what I had on my 2022 bingo card for the year. Very sad. Yeah, so there you have it. Let's move on to something more fun, but sticking with somewhat of a current event. Coming in at number 55 is this gentleman right here, this legend, this icon. And you have to be those things in order to get a movie made about you. Uh, No spoilers, but did you see the Weird Al movie? Interesting. Yes, I liked it. As pretty much a lifelong fan, it's really cool to see him still tracking this highly with all things pop culture. And that's exactly what he positioned himself as being from the word go. So Weird Al pulled it off. And I love that about him. I still love most of his records more often than not. The one he put out in 1992, hey man, this was a big record for him. Off the deep end. But it's not one of my favorites by him. And I don't mean to beat it up or anything because it's definitely the album he needed to make. He gained a whole new fan base, as he kind of does with each record. But this one, he really gained a whole new fan base. It was a new decade and the whole thing. So he had worked with Rick Derringer all through the 80s. Rick Derringer was his producer when he first went major. And this was him not using him anymore and being the guy. He became the guy that produced the records. He directed all the videos at this point and had complete creative control of his career. So this was an important move for Al, and Off the Deep End was a big record for him. just doesn't really land for me. Even back then, I, I can't say that I loved the record. I was just happy for Al. And that's all you need sometimes as a fan. I have liked other records by him more so since then. But for me, like the early and mid-90s was not a really good era for Weird Al records for me. But that being said, there's always something to enjoy on any Weird Al record. If you don't like anything, you'll probably at least love the medley. I almost did pick it, actually. I almost played Poker Your Eyes Out. But I decided to go with this one. And, of course, yes, who doesn't love Smells Like Nirvana? But I'm not going to play that. I am going to go with the second single off the record, which, yes, there was even a video for it. A very funny video, I may add. And the video, because of the tone of the song, they do a parody of the video, More Than Words, by Extreme. It's not a song parody of it. It's just a style parody of just any acoustic-based ballad. And, of course, with the lyrics that only Al can provide. So figured I'd go with this one right here, bring it down a little bit, give you something for the ladies right here. <laughs> That's such a cliche, isn't it? Okay. But the song is definitely about the ladies, or at least a particular one. So here's Weird Al being very reflective here with You Don't Love Me Anymore. We've been together for so very long But now things are changing, oh I wonder what's wrong Seems you don't want me around The passion is gone and the flames died down I guess I lost a little bit of self-esteem That time that you made it with the whole hockey team You used to think I was nice 
Now you tell all your friends that I'm the Antichrist. Oh, why did you disconnect the brakes on my car? That kind of thing is hard to ignore. Got a funny feeling you don't love me anymore. Problems when you put those piranhas in my bathtub again. You're still the light of my life. Oh, darling, I'm begging, won't you put down that knife? You know I even think it's kinda cute the way you poison my coffee just a little each day. I still remember. The way that you laughed when you pushed me down the elevator shaft. Oh, if you don't mind me asking, what's this poisonous cobra doing in my underwear drawer? Sometimes I get to thinking you don't love me anymore. Slam my face down on the barbecue grill. Now my scars are all healing, but my heart never will. You set my house on fire. You pulled out my chest hairs with an old pair of pliers. Oh, you think I'm ugly and you say I'm cheap. You shaved off my eyebrows while I was asleep. You drilled a hole in my head. Then you dumped me in a drainage ditch and left me for dead. Oh, you know this really isn't like you at all. You never acted this way before, honey. Something tells me. You don't love me anymore. Oh no, no. Got a funny feeling. You don't love me anymore. All right, Weird Al right there with You Don't Love Me Anymore from Off the Deep End. That was actually the proper closing track from Off the Deep End. You got to hand it to the guy. There's about 10 minutes of silence after that track, and then he goes into like a weird, noisy tirade, which is actually doing a parody of the hidden track on Nirvana's Nevermind. If you didn't know that, now you know it. It's got a title, I just don't know it offhand, but... Moving on here, album number 54, and this is a clear case of the quote that you hear through the biz whenever you're doing well, don't fuck with the formula. And if a band didn't fuck with the formula on their follow-up album to a very successful one, it's this band right here, Def Leppard, 
with Adrenalize. This album came out on March 31st, 1992. Basically self-produced. So that's the first sign of where there there was a lot of problems going into this record from the word go. So they did use Mike Shipley officially as their producer, although he was Mutt Lang's engineer who engineered all their big Mutt Lang records, High and Dry, Pyromania, and Hysteria, of course. So Steve Clark unfortunately passed away as they were basically doing basic tracks for this record, as far as I understand, or at least working on songs. So there's songs on here that Steve wrote, uh, but between that and not using Mutt Lang, and I hate to put it on those two things, but I feel like those were the two things that affected the album negatively before they ever recorded a stitch on this record. That's how I and probably a lot of people feel about it. And when you hear like the songs that they had kind of kick it around for retroactive and you hear what's on this to me, like I can listen to retroactive all day. It's got some killer material on there. I think some of the better songs on this mixed with the best songs on retroactive, you got a home run record right there, but they just didn't see it that way. And that's the tale of Adrenalize. It was, of course, very successful. They toured and did very well, so they did not fuck with the formula, and they did very well. Number one album, hell, they even got on the cover of Rolling Stone, and I don't remember that happening the last time around. And I remember that cover because I remember them having like this crazy, like big, huge, artsy photo of Rick Allen with a shirt off. Uh, but all that being said, it's number 54 here on this list because the songs i do like i like quite a bit and they're not some of the more obvious songs surprise (laughs) it's like i it's when i hear some of those songs live i get into it i i do my best and they're fine songs but there's some really good songs on here that really represents their best stuff i think and or at least it harkens back to albums like pyromania and hysteria Like this song, for instance. I wanted to play this song to spotlight this record as proof that it's not a total throwaway of a record. Always really dug this song ever since. It was like the last gasp single of the record, so it wasn't going to do much of anything, even though they made a video for it. I remember hearing this one on Z-Rock a lot, and actually at one point they had released a remixed version of this song to rock radio because they had a mix that was actually a little heavier than the one that wound up on the record. So that one's worth tracking down as well. It's on the deluxe edition of Adrenalize, and that deluxe is worth it for all that bonus stuff. It's got some killer stuff on there. But all that being said, let's get into it right here. My absolute A number one favorite song off of Adrenalize. And let me know what song this reminds you of. So here is Tonight.
Right, yeah, that song tonight right there, that to me is a very respectable sequel to the song Too Late for Love. That That's how I feel about it, and that's another reason why I like it so much. It definitely reminds me of it. So there you have it, tonight, Def Leppard from the album Adrenalize. That song is strong enough, and a few others that I really dig on the record, enough to get it up to number 54 here on the top 80 albums of 1992. And this next one right here, Definitely one of those acts that came along uh, for the first time in 1992. And not for nothing, but the perception of this, it made bands like Def Leppard look like the woolly mammoth that was still hanging around, honestly. And I hate that that happened, but that's just the way it is. It's how it is. So on November 3rd, 1992, this band right here dropped their debut and it went off figuratively like a bomb. I mean in a explosive way not in the fact that it didn't sell records it sold a good amount of records this album right here produced by the great garth richardson aka garth rage against the machine their debut right here a lot of undeniable i would say i would venture to say now classics that people respond to as such it's super interesting to me that a band such as this with this kind of narrative would sell any amount of records, especially on a major label, get played on radio, get played on MTV, all that stuff. And they went pretty hard for a band. If you think it's like Packaged Rebellion, as Anthrax once eloquently put it, I don't know, man. I think that they were pretty for real about their opinions. (laughs) That's how I feel about it. So yes, All social commentary aside, I think maybe the A number one reason why you heard about this band and why they sold so well is because the music rules. That's a lot of it. And, of course, the hip-hop flavor that Zach brought to the band was a sure sign of the times for the 90s. It's more hybrid acts. This is the kind of hybrid that really got through. Uh, Precursor to a lot of new metal and rap metal and stuff like that. But crappy wayward sons aside, this record pretty damn cool man so uh, what can i say i feel like i would not be doing 1992 any favors if i did not include the all-time jam from this record so indulge me here as i turn up the headphones and once again play killing in the name Killing in the name of Killing in the name of 
you do what they told ya. Now 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 you do what they told ya. Some of those that work forces are the same that brought crosses. Some of those that work forces are the same that brought crosses. Some of those that work forces are the same that brought crosses. Rage Against the Machine right there from their debut of the same name that was Killing in the Name. You know it. You love it. You love it just a little bit, even if you think you don't, right? Okay. But that is a supreme hard rock classic at this point. 
Got two more songs to go on this episode. So coming in at number 51, another True Alternative, who they were on their sophomore record here in 1992, but this was definitely their breakthrough album. And uh, a band that graduated from the AMREP label, or Amphetamine Reptile, if uh, you're not indoctrinated in that whole scene, that's where a lot of bands like the Melvins and Jesus Lizard and stuff like that came from, or bands that sound like that. And this band went major on their second and signed with Interscope. And that was a whole thing. It's sort of like when Melvin signed with Atlantic at the same time because of the Nirvana Association. But I, I dig the fact that any band that signed off of AMREP, I, I'm not sure if it was the label doing this, although I feel like it might have been. One of the clauses in the contract would be, okay, you can sign this band that we have a contract with away from us. But we get to put out the vinyl pressing, and I thought that was a cool little clause to have in there. Because even though vinyl wasn't really super happening in the early 90s, any hardcore fans are going to buy the vinyl copy regardless. So they definitely made a few bucks off of that clause. So I appreciate that about that part of the music business, at least. Giving the little guy something. But yes, Helmet Man, coming out strong in 1992 with this album, Meantime. You just put it on, it's a riff fest. It's just chunky, it's heavy. There's no guitar solos, you just play. And that is about as meat and potatoes and basic as you can get. Like, there's garage bands that definitely have to have guitar solos, but a band like Helmet is, is at its basic best, and it's one of the great examples of that kind of approach. And just all the great guitar tone, and which you know deemed them ultimately cool for that reason, even though... Uh, the, judging by the way they dressed and the kind of music they played, I don't think they gave a shit about being cool. At least that's the impression I got. It says the album's self-produced, but I, I have seen, like, I think Wharton Tears. There's that name again. I forgot. I brought him up earlier in the countdown. He got an engineering credit on here. And Andy Wallace mixed the album. So that that's a home run right there for the night. He's get Andy Wallace to do your record. He's done so many records, especially good heavy records. He's good at that. Yeah, I can't really complain too much about Meantime, although I guess if you're going to nitpick, it does get a little repetitive, but that's just me. Uh, but it works. Some days, yeah, some days not so much. But on the day that I just re-listened to it recently, I didn't consider it a perfect album or anything, but that's okay. It still rocks pretty damn hard, and we're in a pretty high tier right now in the countdown. Even though we're over here at number 52, it's still high water stuff for the most part. So, once again, I'm going to do the thing that I did with Rage and play the obvious song, because I once I got to fill in a few of these blanks just for my brain. I feel like I'm not doing the year any kind of service by not playing this song, because it's such a definitive song for this year. So I promise I'll try to go a little deeper on future episodes we got coming up here on this countdown. But indulge me a little bit here and there, if you will. So let's crank it up once again for this one right here. You know what it is. It's unsung.
So I didn't even realize that I did this. I definitely didn't mean to do it on purpose, but it's kind of awesome now that I'm realizing it. The last two songs you've heard now on this particular episode, both of those songs were featured in Grand Theft Auto San Andreas. So also just showing just how big those songs were as they were being played on the same exact radio station, the alternative rock station. So, hey, sometimes I can be basic, but you can't deny how great and awesome and heavy those two songs are. And as we move over here for the last song of this episode, this album coming in at number 51, I feel so guilty putting this band that low on the list. But hey, like I said, the points are starting to go up here. We're getting into a different tier. We're definitely getting into like the higher 70s in the point system. And this record isn't really much of a huge favorite amongst the fan base, but I think... They'll agree with me in saying it's at least three quarters very excellent. Talking about the ninth studio album by the legendary Iron Maiden. This album came out on May 11th, 1992. It's called Fear of the Dark, spotlighting and showcasing this end of an era for them in more ways than one. Yes, this is the last proper album kind of in the classic period. It's the last album that Bruce Dickinson would sing on for a while. For almost a decade and it's their very last album to be produced by martin birch the great martin birch who retired apparently after recording this record with maiden so he was their longtime producer produced all those records that you know and love so this was the end of an era in a lot of ways this has some instant classics in the maiden catalog on this record it's just that unfortunately some of the filler tracks are not very good but there's a handful of album tracks that are good and I think Be Quick or Be Dead is awesome. They don't really like to play it. Uh, they play the title track every gig now because who doesn't love singing along to it? And I think they were probably banking on Wasting Love being bigger than it was and didn't really do all that much. But for me, the absolute best album track on this record is this one by far. And I actually have heard this song live a couple of times now. And it's always a highlight for me. So... Maybe you've never heard this song before. If you're not a huge Maiden fan, maybe you haven't. If you haven't gone to see him live in the last 20 years. But man, this song rules. It's an epic. Three songs into the record, they go with the epic right here to get you ready for the final battle at the end of Fear of the Dark. But check this one out, man. I think it's awesome. So, to represent the Fear of the Dark record, this is Iron Maiden with Afraid to Shoot Strangers.
So where do you go after a maiden epic like that? Well, there's really nowhere else to go, so I might as well pack it in for the night, or at least for the next few hours. Yes, we've still got plenty more show to go. We've got some amazing records to talk up here, and we're not even halfway done with this countdown, but we got some killer stuff coming up just on this next episode here, so keep staying tuned. I hope you're enjoying it. I hope you're having a nice, fun, safe holiday season. Check me back here in a few hours. I'll probably be another one up here. But until then, stay tuned for my better half, Nola, with the plugs, followed by the best damn outro song in all the podcasting business. Take it away, Nola. We would like to thank you for taking the time to listen to the show today. You can reach us on Facebook or Twitter. We love getting messages and always do our best to respond. Every time you share our show, we give our cats Ruby and Ripley a treat. We are on Twitter at RockStrikes10, and the direct email is RockStrikes10 at gmail.com. When you search for us, the number 10 is always spelled out. If you would like to support our show financially, we do have RockStrikes10 shirts for sale. For $20, we will ship you out a high-quality, soft-as-heck, next-level branded shirt and a button. Send us an email or direct message for more details or to order. Please help us spread the word about this show and all of our other quality shows by listening, liking, subscribing, and sharing. Our official website is cnjradio.com. You can visit this site for all episodes of Rock Strikes 10 going all the way back to episode number one. While you're on cnjradio.com, check out some of these other quality shows. The Wrestling House Show, a pro wrestling podcast unlike any other. The Synaptic Empire Audio Transmissions, hosted by Randy Brown, a true alternative. The Last Theater, starring Chris, where cinema's trash is treated like treasure. And the I Am Vinyl Podcast with Pete LaRussa and occasionally Joey. We also highly recommend that you check out our good friend Mark Striegel, who can now be heard exclusively on SiriusXM as part of Ozzy's Boneyard and Hair Nation. Last, but certainly not least, we would like to give an extra special thanks to the great Pete LaRussa and the band Spacebeard for the best outro song in the business. Go to facebook.com slash spacebeardband to purchase their music and make sure to tell them that Rock Strikes 10 sent ya. We hope you tune into the next show. Until then, have fun. Post-game show is brought to you by... Christ, I can't find it. The hell with it.